And thanks, Bill. Uh, we do have, I think we have time for, for our little ones. Do we have, uh, we have some little ones who want to go be with Miss Bev? And if we do, yeah, I thought so. We'll let our, we'll let those, those youngest of us go to that time and enjoy their time. And let me invite the rest of you to turn to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah will be in chapter 2 again this, this week, so feel free to turn there. We have been, we have been going through, or been, we've been following the story of Nehemiah uh, the last few Sundays, and we will continue to do so at least off and on for the next uh, couple of months we'll, as we work our way through this story. Nehemiah has about 13 chapters, so I think it'll probably take us about 15 weeks or so um, to get through uh, through this story. And the, what we are, what we're learning in this in this uh, story of Nehemiah um, is this particular theme: restored, finding, or excuse me, pursuing that is true purpose. Restored. Pursuing true purpose. We, are, we have learned just in these opening chapters of Nehemiah that there were many problems going on in Israel at this time. Israel was recovering from exile. They had been away from their land. They'd been away from their homeland for several generations. And God was calling them back to their land to be restored. To restore the walls, to restore the city, and to be restored as a people so that they could experience the true purpose that God had for them. And that by restoring this wall, they could pursue it themselves. They, they, dis, they began to discover that what they were lacking um, as a people when they were in exile was a sense of community. Who we are as a people. They were scattered throughout the, the, the known world at the time. But they didn't really have a sense of who they were as a people anymore. They needed to be restored to that kind of community, that purpose, that true purpose for them. They needed to be restored in the sense of their covenant, the things that they believed, what, what, was, what was true about them. And what, what was true about them was that they were in a relationship with the God of heaven. The God who had made everything, the God who ruled over everything, the God who was sovereign over kings and over countries and over their history, a God who was good and able to help them. And they needed to have that covenant restored between themselves and, and their God. They needed to, to be restored to their true purpose of calling. The fact that they were called to be a holy people. That they were called to live according to God's plans and God's designs for them and for their lives. So that's what this true purpose was all about for Israel. And we're going to see those themes throughout the story. We've already seen them somewhat in these opening, these opening uh, uh, chapters but today, the, the, the adventure really begins in earnest. To, up until this point, Nehemiah has been preparing by prayer, fasting, mourning, weeping, as he sensed or he's experienced the, the, the 
the situation that Jerusalem was in of, of being broken down. He experienced that. He prayed about it. He, he even planned about it because we see in the we saw last week how he interacted with the then king of Persia, King Artaxerxes, or, or Artie as I like to call him. And so, so Nehemiah uh, hung, hung out with his buddy Artie and he was able to get permission and help to come back to his homeland and he credits the good hand of his God for that. So the plans are in place. The permissions are there. God is working out all of these things for His purposes. And so today, we're going to see what happens next in the story. We're going to see what Nehemiah does when he arrives. So follow with me uh, in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse, beginning at verse 11. Follow with me as I read aloud here through the end of the chapter. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. And I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me, but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate, to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate, and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in this brief time that we have this morning, I pray that you will speak through me. May the words that I say to you be edifying and, and will build us up. Uh, may they be true. May God, you impress whatever words you would have for us today, impress on our hearts to, to believe, to respond in faith to what you call us to today, to be transformed, to be uh, restored people who are pursuing true purpose with you and in you. We pray this in the name of your son Jesus. Amen. Amen. Rise up. That's what 
That's what Nehemiah is doing at this time. That's what Israel is doing at this time. And that is what we are called to do at this time, to rise up. Listen to um, three... Uh, I'm going to show you three related areas um, in, from the text, from the story of, of areas that we need to rise up as well. And we'll examine how Nehemiah and how the people of Israel did that and hopefully learn from that and be able to walk out of here with uh, a call from God, an encouragement from God to respond as in the same way. Because see, God is calling us God is calling us and He has enabled us, just as He did with Nehemiah, just as He did with the people of Israel. He called them to a task. And then He enabled them for that task. And He called them to rise up and pursue His true purposes for us. If we understand the calling that we have, if we understand the purposes that, that He has called us to, then we should then rise up and do it. We should get up out of our places. The idea of rise up means to either to get up from laying down, to get up from standing, and to, to, to act. To get busy with what God has called us to do. So, rise up, first of all, to examine the situation that we're in. How many times um, have you taken the time to reflect on what your life is like. To really examine your situation. Maybe your personal life situation. Or I know that for me as a, as a pastor, um, I am constantly being, reminding myself that I need to examine what it is that we're doing as a church. Are we doing what it is that we're, we're called to do? Are we fulfilling God's purposes for us? Are we, are we pursuing true purpose? in God's design for us. And so examination is a big part of, of what we are called to do in order to pursue true purpose. Examine the situation. Notice what Nehemiah does. Uh, Nehemiah, right off the bat, in verse 11, says, So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. So uh, up until this point, and we looked at this a, a bit last week, we, we saw that he had letters and he had help from, and he had, in fact, he had officers and an army and horsemen uh, from King Arty. And they went, he left Susa, the citadel, he left Persia, and he made this trip. And he finally arrived here in Jerusalem. And it says he stayed there three days. I wonder what he might have been doing those three days. Just, just, just taking verse 11. He was there for three days. He's probably recovering from his trip. I don't know if you guys have ever been on a long journey and a long trip and you get somewhere. And probably the first thing you want to do is settle in, right? Um, you've, you've taken that trip. You want, to kind of, you want to relax. You want to put your feet up. You want to rest. I remember when I came back from Iraq uh, after being there for seven, almost seven and a half months or so, um, I, I got back and I thought, okay, this is going to be, this is going to be great. I've only got 15 days. I, I want to rest. I want to recover. Um, I want to put my feet up. Um, but I also, there's thing, there are things that I want to do. I, I, I need to see my wife. I need to see my kids. I need to see friends, family, etc., etc. Um, and I pretty much just kind of hit the ground running when I came back. Um, turned out that 
that 15 days turned into the rest of my life because I never actually did go back after that. That's another story. But, but I know that after something like that, what you want to do is you, you want to recover, right? But, but then you're pretty eager to get on with your life, right? To get on with what you're going to be doing. I want you to notice how Nehemiah was patient. He didn't, go, he didn't get hasty. Remember, remember Nehemiah's pattern up to this point. He heard about Jerusalem. He heard that it was broken down. And he fasted and prayed for four months. Four months. Fasting and praying. Seeking God's face. Then he shares with the king. He says, Well, Artie, here's what I'd really like to have happen. I'd like to have support so I could go back to my homeland. Go back to the city of my fathers and help them to restore it. And, and God did. And He acted on that. And He was bold. And He was courageous. And He did the ask. And then He gets to Jerusalem. And He hangs out for three days. Now I know He was recovering from His journey. But He was also waiting. He was also being patient. I'm sure He was probably in, in that time, He was probably visiting with the elders uh, of the city. He was probably visiting with the people, with the, with the significant families there. He was probably asking some questions. He said he would probably show up with his letters and he'd say, here, I'm coming from Persia. Um, I'm here to do some work. Uh, but I want to know about what's going on here. I want to hear from you. I want to hear your story. Uh, what's life been like here? What are, you, what are you guys all about? Well, then it says he arose in the night. He said, I and a few men with me, unnamed, we don't know who they are exactly, but they were his entourage, and then he says, I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. He'd been there for three days, probably visiting with people there, and he didn't tell them a single word about what God has specifically called him to do. I think that's kind of interesting. I think it's more than kind of interesting. I think it's very significant. That he held back this, this uh, calling from God until he could examine the situation to see what's really going on here. Are these people going to be ready to hear this? Is now the right time to share this vision for what God has called us to do? Am I going to have to wait a little longer before I share this, before we get started and put this plan into action? Or can I share it now? So he had not told anybody what God had put into his heart to do for Jerusalem. And so, then it describes his journey in the middle of the night. And uh, he, he goes out by night. Uh, he had an animal that he rode on. Probably it was a donkey. Because a horse would have probably... I don't know if you've ever ridden animals before. But I, I have been on a horse a couple of times in my life, but never really ridden. Um, and so... But horses tend to snort. Horses tend, are, are large. They tend to make, make noise. But if, but if you've ever... I don't, anyone ridden on, ridden on a donkey? Uh, a horse, yes. But donkey, probably not. Donkey, yes. Donkey rides? No. Yeah. No, I have. You have. Yeah. But, you know, the, the, now they're ornery too. But when you, when you take a donkey on a little ride, they pretty much just, just, just go. They're quiet. They're... They're going to go where they're not going to go. Maybe you have to beat them a little bit um, to get them to go where you want to. 
Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> book of Numbers. Keep, re keep going through the Bible reading plan. You'll get to the Book of Numbers. You're going to read about Balaam and the donkey. You'll love that story. Okay. Um, anyway... So he probably took a donkey out because he's trying to do this in secret. He's trying not to call attention to himself. He's trying to inspect, uh, evaluate, examine what's going on. And it says he goes out by the valley gate and into the dragon spring and the dung gate. And these are kind of fun names. And, um, and we don't know, exactly know exactly where they're at. Um, there's been a, so much archaeology done around Jerusalem. They, they have a feeling that they know where these places are out. But essentially... Uh, he's, he's describing a situation, he's describing these places that, that the people who were reading this um, 1,500, well, 1,000 to 1,500 years ago, uh, they probably would have had an idea, a general idea of 1,000, uh, 3,000, sorry, 3,000 or 2,500 years ago. Anyway, they would have had an idea about where these places are at, but he's basically describing this route going around the existing city. Ins inspecting the walls, examining the walls, because his primary, his primary purpose of going to Jerusalem was to help Israel restore the walls. So he's inspecting, he's evaluating, he's examining these walls. And it says so, I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down. I inspected its gates that had been destroyed by fire. He wanted to know, what is the real situation here? What is this going on? How am I going to help them? I need, to know, I need to know this information so that I can help them. He said he goes to the found gate, the king's pool, and it, at that point there was no room for the animal um, that he was riding on for him to pass. So I imagine he probably came to a part of the, the, the border of the city around the walls where there was just so much rubble that he actually had to to either take his animal, probably take his animal all the way around this area or walk through it on foot and inspect it on foot. But it says he came back, uh, back around the valley, um, continued to inspect the walls, returned, uh, went into the same gate that he went out. And so in one night, he had done this route around the city in secret, inspecting, um, examining things, and nobody knew what was going on. And and verse 16, Nehemiah makes it very clear. He says, The officials didn't know where I had gone or what I was doing. I had not yet told the Jews, in other words, the, the full population of, of the people at the time. I hadn't told the priests. I hadn't told the nobles, or, or maybe those were the, the privileged citizens. Um, he hadn't told the rest of the officials, repeats them again, and, and the rest who were to do the work. That may have been the laborers or may have just been his way of summing up the whole, uh, whole lot of them. He hadn't told anybody. And he makes it, he, he's very emphatic on this. This is like the second or the third time that he's mentioned that he didn't tell anybody, that he was in secret. He examined. I wonder what that would look like for us. We have a, uh, our partner church, Terrace Heights, um, has, a, has a new pastor um, he's been there about a month or so. And I, I kind of, in a way, I, I think maybe he's in a Nehemiah situation. He's in a new place. He's, seen, he's trying to examine. He's trying to discover what's going on in this church. He's asking a lot of questions. Or pe people are telling their stories. And some of them are telling, well, if it was like this, uh, back, like it was in the olden days, everything would be great again. Or, well, well, Pastor, what you really need to do is this. Or what you really need to do is that. Um, 
I, I can imagine him going through something like this. I, we ourselves, Cheryl and I, went through something like this a few years ago as we were preparing to come here. We wanted to know, okay, well, what should we do? Oh, how should we, how should we uh, prepare ourselves for Moxie? Um, we're, we're like, well, we, we know what the Northwest is like in general, and we've lived here, we grew up here, but what is Moxie like? What is this part of Yakima like? And um, I got to tell you, it's taken us more than three days and a night to figure out this place. <laughs> um, but what is, what is going on in our lives? Well, what's going on in your individual life that you need to examine? The situation that you're in. Or, if you're like me, you're working, 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 and you're never taking an opportunity to stop from that and to really evaluate what's happening here. What are the real needs here? What is the real situation? Because it's great to have a vision. It's great to have a, hey, this is what God wants me to do. But it's another thing to understand the situation you're really in and then to say, okay, here's how that vision applies to this. Or here's what I need to do step by step to actually accomplish the vision that I have, that, that God has given me. And that's, a, that's one of the, the, the other significant things that I want us to know about this examination of the situation that it, was, it is God who is directing it. It is God who's putting this, these, these things into our hearts. But we cannot stay examining. And just like Nehemiah, he didn't just, sit, he didn't just hang out in Jerusalem for months and months and months just going, well, I'm not sure what to do. I don't know if now's the right time to share my, the, what God has given us to, to do yet. Um, I'm going to just kind of hang out here. But no, he examined, but he didn't stay there. The next thing he did... And the next thing that we can learn from is to rise up to execute the vision God gives us. Now, ex by execute, I do not mean put into an electric chair or to uh, hang um, until dead. But what I mean by execute is to put it into practice, to, to do it, to get that plan in motion. Rise up to execute the vision God gives us. Which is just the point that I was making and the point that Nehemiah made in verse, back in verse 12 when he said, I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. This was not Nehemiah's plan. This was God's plan. This was God's vision. And God had called Nehemiah to accomplish God's vision for his people and his vision for Nehemiah. So then, look what he did um, to do this. He said in verse 17, I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. The trouble. The word for trouble here is this Hebrew word ra, which is evil. You see the evil that has, has befallen us? You see the situation that we're in? It's bad. It's evil. It's calamitous. It's troublesome, right? <laughs> you see this situation. You all know it. We are in this situation. See how Jerusalem, he said, lies in ruins with its gates burned. He had heard, 
Now he had heard about the problems. He had heard how challenging things were there. He had heard about the brokenness, how things were broken down. But now he saw it with his own eyes. And then, so when he is talking to the officials and the leaders uh, in Jerusalem, he's, he's, telling, he's not telling them something that they don't know, but now he's identified with them. And now he's seen it firsthand, and he can say, look at the problem that we are having. And he says, we, we. He includes himself in it. This is not just a problem for Jerusalem. It's not just a problem of those inhabitants. Sometimes that's, if I can, a little aside here, I think sometimes that's our problem too. I don't, I don't, think, we, I don't think we follow Nehemiah's example here well enough. Sometimes we come to a city or a community would say, you know what your problem is here? <laughs> you guys need Jesus. You know, what, you know what your problem is here? There's no sense of community. You know what, you know what your problem is here? Um, there aren't enough uh, businesses in, in this part of the, the valley or whatever. And we, we say you, you, you all, you all, rather than we. And Nehemiah says, I'm here. I've only been here for three, nights, or three days and a night. But I'm here, and I'm part of this, and I'm going to be here for the duration. Anyway, that's what he says. We are in this trouble. We are experiencing these, this evil. And then he, he shares the vision. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Ooh, derision is a powerful word. It's disgrace. It's shame. It's humiliation. We are humiliated because of what is going on here. That was the report that Hanani, uh, Nehemiah's brother, and, and his friends gave to him when they traveled to Susa. And Nehemiah is just kind of going about his life and, and doing his cupbearer job and everything is great for him and Jerusalem and, his, and the city of his fathers and, and Judah and the whole promised land is really, really distant. It's a distant part of his life until they say the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble, evil, and shame. Same word, same idea. Derision. Derision and shame and disgrace. Let us build the wall of Jerusalem, Nehemiah says, that we may no longer suffer this shame and this humiliation and this derision. And he includes himself in it. We are in this together. My friends, if we don't, if we don't communicate vision like that to our family, to our friends, or to the people around us, to our community, to our city, we are in this together. We identify with you the things that need to be fixed, the things that could be changed, the things that could be better. And we're, we're part of this. And let us do this together. Let us cooperate together. Let us, uh, let us pursue true purpose by joining as a community to respond to this trouble. And that's what he does. And verse 18, he, he, he continues to share with him. He says, I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. So he's repeating what he said uh, earlier in verse 8. The good hand of my God was upon me. And he's, he's sharing that story. He's saying, look, God is behind this. God is doing something here. I was uh, having a... I ha had a telephone conversation with, an, with a friend of ours 
um, who is in a who is in a church in Georgia, and um, she was telling me about some of her difficulties um, sharing with the people in her church about uh, basically sharing a vision for what their church could do to do missions. Uh, two, two years ago, or a year and a half ago, two summers ago, I put it that way, uh, some of you remember the team that came to Georgia and she was part of that team. What? They came here. That's right. Yeah. The team that came from Georgia went to Georgia. Did I say went to? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. The team that came from Georgia and, and spent uh, about a week or so with us and served with us doing our, our summer children's program that we had going on that summer. And they want to bring another team this year too. And we're excited about that. And, it, and, and she's excited about that. And, and she was, she was uh, expressing you know, how difficult it is to communicate with them because um, some of them are resistant to it and some of them are excited about it, but you know how it is. Uh, sometimes we'll share our vision of, of something we'd like to see happen and, and most people go, oh, that's wonderful. Well, bless your heart. Um, but they won't necessarily get behind you. Or they won't share the same excitement, the same enthusiasm. Um, and then I told her this. I said, uh, when you're communicating with them, um, to remind them that this is not just something that you feel strongly about. Uh, remind them that this is not just you're doing a favor for your friends or because you have friends there, you want to go visit them and you want to go spend time with them and so it's a good excuse to get other people to go see them. But help them to see that the good hand of God has been behind this. I mean, the good hand of God does this. He puts our lives together, connects our lives together at different points in our, in our existence and we meet new friends and we get to know them and, and we may know them, in our case it was a couple of years we were in the same city with them and on the, living on the same street as, as our friends and then separated, then off to some other place and she goes and her family go to one place and we come up here and Right? And yet God had a plan for that. And maybe part of that plan was because God had intended for her to go to another church in which she could share a vision for doing something that the church wasn't doing, and that is being involved actively in missions efforts. And now here we are in a church plant here in Moxie. And maybe God has connected our, our families together like that. Maybe we need to give God some of that credit, right? The good hand of God was upon Nehemiah orchestrating all of the details of his life and maybe he's doing that in the same way as uh, he did it there and he's doing that for us as well. And that was, that was what I encouraged her with to help her see that God is behind this. God is sovereign. God is moving. And He's doing that in our lives. I don't think it may be that He's doing that. I know He is doing that. And if we will just recognize it. And He also ex he shared the words that the king had spoken. So that was important too. The king had given these words. The king was behind this. This was a good thing. It's not just God's giving us a vision, but there are circumstances and situations and people falling into place to provide the support, to provide all that is necessary to accomplish this good work. And what did they say? 
Let us rise up. Let us rise up and build. Let's do it. Let's get, a, let's get after this. Let's execute the vision that God has given us. Let's go do it. So what did they do? They strengthened their hands for the work. I love that phrase. They said first, let us rise up and build. They were said, okay, let's put this plan into action. But they knew that it was going to require them to encourage and strengthen one another. That's the idea in that phrase. They strengthened their hands for the good work. See, we rise up to examine the situation we're in. We rise up to execute the vision God has given us. And we rise up to encourage one another. We must do that. I don't know... How many times over the past two years where we have gone, okay, we've seen the situation here uh, in, our, in our current area of ministry and we've examined things and we know we need to do this, we know we need to do that. Okay, now we're executing the vision. We're, we're going after it. And then we hit discouragement. How many of you have been with me? Right? Yes. Those of you who've been part of the River Church from the very beginning, you have been on the roller coaster with us. It's been fun, hasn't it? There's discouragement. There's going to be depression. Things are not going to work out the way you want them to. You're going to be wondering, did we examine the situation right? Did correctly? Did we really know what we were getting in for? There are times when you're going to go, is this really the vision that God has for us? Or am I off? Have I made a mistake? Have I chosen poorly? We rise up and encourage one another. And, and, and specifically in this area, because this was the area that Nehemiah was experiencing, specifically when we are opposed. Because right away, somebody was saying, are you sure you should be doing this? Maybe there will be some good-natured and good-hearted people in your life who say the same thing. Are you sh sure you should be going on that missions trip? Are you sure you should be um, leaving your good-paying job to go do something that has no financial security? Are you sure that you should be doing that? And that's where the opposition was coming from right now. Now, so far, Sanballat and Tobiah were, were like, well, they were, they were not happy. It displeased them greatly before that they heard that something was happening. And now they're voicing their displeasure. And in fact, they got their, their buddy Geshem, the Arab. I don't, know, I don't know what Geshem's deal was, but they got this third guy in on it. And they jeered at them. And they despised them, it says. They made fun of them. I had people... I'm not... So, don't hear this as, as tooting my own horn. But this is my experience. When we announced to our colleagues, those who I, who I was working with in the army, that I was leaving the army, that I was turning down a promotion to come here, they looked at me like I was a fool. What are you doing? Jeers? Despising? Yeah, I can identify with that. <laughs> well, many of them are very gracious and understanding. But still, I don't understand why you would do that. And I had, I had colleagues who had been waiting for that promotion 
for several years, many years, and I come up on the list and I say, I'm not going to take it. And I know they're looking at me like, why? That could have been me. I could have got that. Well, eh, the, the, it, it's, it, it'll be their time. when If God wants it for them, it'll be their time. They'll get that. But I knew that for me, it was, it was about following God's vision. But hearing that kind of opposition, hearing that kind of discouragement, caused me to, well, am I doing the right thing? Are we doing what we should be doing? Is this, is this true? Is this good? Is this really the vision that God has for us? Because listen to what they said. What is this thing that you are doing? And then, are you rebelling against the king? Well, we may not have kings that we could say, well, it's just like this, I'm rebelling against the king. But basically what they're saying is, this doesn't make any sense. So are you rebelling against common sense? Are you rebelling against the American way? Are you rebelling against all of the things that we hold value in our culture? And Nehemiah's reply was this, the God of heaven. Please, please keep coming back to the God of heaven. Okay? Just like Nehemiah. And he says this, the God of heaven will make us prosper. Give us peace. Give us well-being. That's the idea there. He will be our peace. He will be our well-being. He will make us prosper. And we, His servants, will arise. We will rise up and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Those who are outside and even, dare I say, those who are inside our churches, who are fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, will often not understand what God is calling us to. And he'll, they'll wonder, why are you doing that? Are you rebelling against the church? Are you rebelling against your leaders? Or are you doing this or that? Or what, what's going on here? I don't understand it. And that is a very, very difficult place for us to be. Because we want to be in unity. We want to live at peace with all people, inside and outside of the church. But when it came down to it, Nehemiah recognized that Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem had no portion. They, they didn't have an inheritance in Israel. They didn't have an inheritance in God's people. They didn't have a right. They had no legal authority to do anything about what Nehemiah and the Israelites were going to do. And they didn't have a claim. This is the tricky one. A claim, or, or, or the ESV text note says a memorial. Uh, in other words, they didn't have, oh, what would you say, a religious part of it. When God called Nehemiah, when God called Israel, and when God calls us, He sometimes calls us to rise up and pursue a, a purpose that He has for us that other people don't understand. And we need to encourage one another. We need to strengthen our hands together as a church, as people, to do what God has called us to do. Not to be Sanballat, not to be Tobiah, not to be Geshem, not to follow the, the, the three knuckleheads as they're opposing God and His work in, among His people. But to remember that God is behind it. So we should remind ourselves of God's calling. What has God called you to do? Has God redirected that calling? He may for a time, right? He may for a time redirect our calling. But we, we, we need to remember His calling. 
And we should encourage one another by doing the same thing. We need to re rely on one another as well. The community that we exist in. That's what it means to encourage one another, strengthen one another's hands, to give each other help, to give each other love, to give each other encouragement and support. Sometimes just a, a, a word fitly spoken, right? Uh, that's what we need to hear from one another. I heard an encouraging word this week and it made a big difference for me. It was in passing. It was, it was uh, not something that a week, two, three, four weeks from now is, a, is the kind of word that people would normally remember. Uh, they, if I were to recall it a month from now and say, I remember this, um, probably the response from that person would be, oh, I... Okay, yeah, that sounds about right. I don't really remember that particular conversation, but I remember... Uh, I, I, that sounds consistent with something I would want to say to you. Okay, uh, and I've probably done that as well. But we need those kinds of words. I, I got that word at the right time. A word of encouragement that reminded me that, oh, that feels good. I am doing, I am doing the right thing. I am going in the right direction. And I'm going to keep doing that. That's what we need to do for one another. To encourage each other like that. Sometimes with a word. Sometimes with something bigger. Sometimes, sometimes with support. Sometimes with gifts. Whatever it is that we can do to rely on one another. And we also need to rely or remember this. To encourage one another means to remind ourselves of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be remembered of that. We've had a few conversations like that this week. And we, re we need to remind ourselves of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because, look, we will come away from Nehemiah going, I just need to pray more. I just need to ask for more help and do it in the right way. I just need to make sure that I'm planning well, that I'm examining the situation, and that I have a really good way to execute this, this particular vision. I'm going to do all of those things and then what does it say? God's going to make us prosper. And then we can wonder why aren't things turning out the way I want them to? Because none of this really matters unless it's done in the Lord. None of it really matters if God is not really behind it and if we are not behind it through Jesus. God does want us to examine. I think that is what we need to do. But consider what Jesus did. He came and He spent 30 years on this earth living, growing, um, and, and experiencing all that we all experience. And then God called Him at just the right time for the mission that He had given Him. I wonder what He had been doing those 30 years. Examining, perhaps? praying, um, observing, knowing His people. And then his, He goes about doing the mission, executing the vision that God had given Him. And He did it perfectly. He didn't leave anything out. He didn't leave any words out. How many times have you been in a conversation with somebody, especially about the Lord, and you leave words out, and you go away from it going, Oh, I should have said. I do that every Sunday afternoon and Monday. Oh, I should have said. Jesus didn't leave any words out. Jesus didn't, didn't leave any actions undone. How many times have that, has that happened to you? 
I felt like I should have done this, but I didn't. And I left it out. I left some things undone. Jesus never did that. Isn't that awesome? And he, he left no word unsaid. He left no word or work undone for us. He did that for us. And we need to remind ourselves of that constantly. How can we encourage one another when we are opposed? Let us remind ourselves of what Jesus has said and done. Let us remind ourselves of His promises that He is the true Nehemiah. He is the true comfort from Yahweh. Isn't that exciting? And that's true for us. We looked at 1 Peter 2, 11-25 earlier, and I, I'm not going to go back through that entire passage. We heard it read before. But the, uh, the, the, the entire passage, I, gosh, I preached three messages from that entire passage about two years ago here. But I want to remind you, because we, we may be wondering, well, what is our true purpose here? I mean, how is it that we are supposed to be as a people? And Peter reminds us of that. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Those people who are outside the faith. That's how we can think of the idea of Gentiles. Keep your conduct honorable. How are you living your life? Under God's grace, under His direction, through the, through the grace of the gospel, so that when they look at you, they see this is somebody who believes the gospel. He doesn't just speak it, He believes it. And they will speak, uh, or they will see your good deeds. They'll glorify God on the day of visitation. That by, by doing what is right, by accomplishing the will of God, um, it will silence the, the, the opposition. And that we remember, as Peter did, he said, as you're working, as you're struggling, as you're uh, pursuing true purpose, as you're attempting to restore maybe your life and the church and your community and your city and your world, that you remember Jesus what he did, what he suffered. When he reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to God. God, I'm in your hands. Whatever happens to me is, is nothing compared to what I have with you. I mean, the worst they could do to us is kill our bodies. That's <laughs> the worst they could do. Some of us are willing to die for Jesus, but we're not necessarily willing to live for Him. To live with some disgrace uh, along the way, or some jeering, or some despising of us. But see what Jesus did. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and to live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. That's what we sang about earlier, didn't we? Man of sorrows. He was beaten, he was abused, he was torn for us so that we could rise up and be the people that he has called us to be in Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this word. Thank you so much for what you are doing in our lives and in our church among us. God, I pray that you will continue to do your work. Continue to show us your purposes for us. Lord, I know that each of us individually, we have things that we're struggling through. We are, in fact, some of us are just trying to determine what, what your purposes for us are at this time in our lives. So, Father, be gracious to us. Reveal to us 
your ways for us. Reveal to us the specific area of calling that you have for us. Lord, help us to be patient and to wait, to remember to be in prayer, to remember to ask when it's time to ask, to to examine uh, the, the situation that you have put us in and, and to hold on to that vision and, and execute it when you um, give us that direction. God, speak to us. Show us your purposes. And show us your purposes through Jesus. Don't let us lose sight of what Jesus has done for us in the gospel, Lord. We love you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.